know all of you. My name's Anne, and I am Canadian, but uh, my dad was born in Beckenham, and um, all my four grandparents were born in the UK, actually. And I found out recently from my dad's cousins that my great-grandmother had a flat just down the road from the Horniman. So I'm a local girl, it turns out, um, and have ended up in this bit of London sort of by accident, but it's quite fun. Um, so thank you for having me this morning. And um, thanks to Anna for reading that. This is such an exciting bit of scripture. It's one of my favorites, really. Um, I could talk about this for hours. Don't worry, we won't be here that long, but so exciting. Um, and I know that we're starting a new series on the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? And this is such an exciting time in the life of this church here because I've just been looking at your Seek First the Kingdom document and all the things that um, God's put on Ben and Lydia's hearts and on your hearts to begin doing to bring the kingdom here in Sydenham and Forest Hill. It's really exciting. So we're going to just talk a little bit about what the Holy Spirit does and how he helps us to be able to bring the kingdom. Um, I want to start with a little story. Uh, so before I moved to London, I was living in the Philippines and I had worked with some amazing Filipino friends to open a home for girls and women who had been trafficked in that country. And um, we took in this the girls we took in were quite young, and we took in a girl who was 14 who had been tricked by a neighbor and then sold to a tourist, really. And um, she was really depressed and had dropped out of school, and when I met her at first, she couldn't even make eye contact with me or speak. She was really suffering. And um, as she began to live with us and encounter Jesus and worship and find out who she was and what her identity was as a daughter of the king, all of these things. She began to change and bloom, and she be she's become this quite funny, quite cheeky um, girl. Um, but we, uh, you know, on the, on the islands where we lived, it's a tropical place, and there was this massive tropical storm that came through and just raised tons of buildings, knocked people's trees and crops down. It was a real mess, and so we were going from the city where we lived and sending teams out to help rebuild houses and help people recover from this big storm. So this girl, who I'll call Stella, was on one of these trips, going out into the, what they call the provinces, sort of the outlying islands, quite rural areas, to, to um, bring food, bring water, pray for people, um, and then rebuild some homes. So in one of the houses they went to, they found this elderly lady, very old lady. Um, she was blind in one eye. And um, they said, how can we pray for you? And she said, my knees are so painful. So they said, right, we're going to pray for her knees. So my little girl, Stella, who was maybe 15 at this point, put, put her hands on the lady's knees and started to pray that Jesus would heal her knees. All of a sudden, this woman starts to scream, and she says, I can see out of my eye. And the neighbors were, all came gathered around, and they were like, what? And they made her, you know, cover up her good eye, and she's like, yep, you're wearing purple, and oh, you've put on some weight, and um, she could see out of her eye. So this, this sort of 15-year-old teenager who'd known Jesus all of about four minutes 
um, prays for the knees and sees the blind eye open. Very exciting. And this is the kind of thing that this passage in scripture is telling us that Jesus came to do. So this is, as far as we know, we don't, we don't have many glimpses into the life of Jesus before he turned 30. Um, I'd love to know what was happening, but as far as we can surmise, we have the story of his birth, which is really miraculous, and you know the story, right? <laughs> it's a Christmas story, everyone knows it. But then we have this little vignette when he's 12, and he knows that he has to be in his father's house, you know, which was the temple. So he has some idea of his identity of, as the son of the father. Other than that, we don't know much until we get to this point where Luke says he's, he's 30 years old, so we just assume that he'd been living a pretty regular life as a good small town Jewish boy, you know, learning the Torah, going to synagogue, doing what his parents said, learning the family business. We assume he was a furniture maker, um, living this kind of normal life until this point. And suddenly, when Jesus is about 30, this strange preacher appears in the desert. He's called John the Baptist. And he starts to kind of tantalizingly say, someone more powerful than me is coming. He was gathering all these crowds to baptize, but he said, someone else is coming, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then we've got Jesus showing up in the desert, saying, I'm going to be baptized. And you know, there's this whole back and forth of John says, I should be baptized by you. Why do you need me to baptize you? And Jesus says, it's the right thing to do. And John baptizes Jesus. And this is what happens. It says, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from, came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. So here we have Jesus about to begin his ministry, about to launch into the mission that he came to earth for. And what does he do first? Well, he submits to the father, and the father confirms his identity. This is my son, I love him. And I would suggest that in our times with Jesus every day, at home or in the garden, in the park, on the bus, wherever you manage to get some time with Jesus, this should be our first port of call. We should be hearing him say, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. We should be finding that connection with the Father. There's a, it's not an accident that the Lord's Prayer starts with, out with our Father. That's how we're invited to connect to him. So he is about to launch his ministry and he, he finds that connection to the Father. And the next thing he does is he becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this beautiful picture of the Trinity there, Jesus and the, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and the Father's voice speaking out. So Jesus is baptized and the Spirit descends on him. And then it says, Jesus, this is Luke 4, 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's baptized and he's full of the Spirit. And we notice that he doesn't try to do anything miraculous, doesn't try and bring salvation to anyone until he's filled with the Spirit. Does that make sense? And so if we're going to be sent out on this mission in Sydenham and Forest Hill, what do you think we need to do? 
It's not a rhetorical question. <laughs> I'm, I won't be, I'm quite nice. I won't bite you. What do you think we need to do? We need to be filled with the Spirit, right? Jesus is full of the Spirit. Now, interestingly, this is a little side note. The Spirit leads him into the desert. Probably not what he was hoping or any of us would be hoping for. But it seems like when he's filled with the Spirit, he learns obedience to the Father, which unfortunately often happens through suffering. I'm not wishing that on any of us, but when we have hard times, we can learn obedience. We can learn submission to the Father. And we can learn character through that, can't we? And so Jesus is learning obedience to the Father, and he's being filled with the Spirit. And then it says, he comes out of the desert, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So he's still filled with the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside, and he's teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And then it says, he goes to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his customs, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And then we know that he reads this beautiful passage from Isaiah, which Anna's just read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what I think is so interesting about this is that when Jesus is sort of launching his public ministry, he doesn't say, I've come here to die on the cross for you so that your sins can be forgiven and you can go to heaven. He doesn't say any of that. What does he start with? He starts with the poor, the prisoners, the physically ill, and those who are oppressed. That's where he starts. And he says... The Spirit of the Lord is on me so that I can meet these people and turn their lives around. What is he bringing? He's bringing the kingdom of God. In the other Gospels, he, he, he goes around proclaiming, repent, because the kingdom is here. Now, what does it look like when the kingdom is here? And what would it look like? I want you to start imagining. What would it look like in Sydenham if the kingdom came here? What would it look like on my street if the kingdom came? What would it look like in my workplace if the kingdom came? What would it look like in my family? What would it look like in the Ukraine? What would it look like in Texas? What would it look like in Westminster? What happens when the kingdom comes? Well, Jesus, in that prayer again, taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in God's original creation, there was no separation between heaven and earth. When God created the garden, heaven and earth were the same thing. Both were equally full of the presence and the light and the love and the goodness of God. Of course, all of that changed when humans decided that we knew a better way than God's and we separated ourselves from that source of light and goodness and love. And um, this is why our world is a bit not like heaven all of the time. But Jesus says he's filled with the power of the Spirit so that he could begin to bring heaven back to earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to begin to right the wrongs that the enemy had done to the world so that the blind can have their sight restored, like my lady in the Philippines. 
And I think this blindness probably refers to both physical blindness and metaphorical or spiritual blindness. I think he's bringing the oppressed of every kind and setting them free. And the poor can begin to hear some good news for the first time. I think um, the poor don't often hear good news, do they? Especially at the moment. It's, it's hard for people who are struggling with financial poverty. And obviously this kind of poverty, or, or this word poor, also applies to any other kind of poverty. We could be poor in spirit, emotionally poor, relationally poor, spiritually poor, all of these things. But the poor are going to hear good news. But it was only when Jesus was filled with the Spirit that he began to move into this ministry. Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. So this word save does mean being spiritually saved, does mean being spiritually regenerated, but it also means, it's, a, it's the word sozo in the Greek, and it also means to save one suffering from disease, to make well, to heal, to restore so when Jesus comes to bring salvation, he's doing it in a holistic way. He's, he cares about our whole person, who we are emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally, socially, all of these things. He is concerned and he says, I've come so that they can have life. But as I keep saying, he said, Holy Spirit, fill me up first so that I can then get out and start to do these things. He doesn't attempt to save anyone as far as we know before he has this baptism experience, before he invites the Holy Spirit to fill him up. And I think you can look around and see so many people in the world, Christians and non-Christians, working really hard to try and bring change to the things in our world that the enemy is still holding sway over. And that's good. People are doing good things. But there is power in the spirit that can change hearts and lives in a way that all of our activity cannot do. Do you know what I mean? I mean, bless Boris, but I think he is not full of the spirit in a way that's going to bring some lasting change. Um, but you are. Okay? Um, he's got his job to do, but we've got our jobs to do. And we have this power that, that you know politicians and activists and all of these people generally don't have. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in pol politics or activism, but I am saying when the Spirit fills us, something else happens. So my friend Stella could have gone to this village and just built a house for the lady. That would have been great. She could have taken some water and food. Excellent. I mean, she should have done that, and she did. But also, the woman got her eyesight back. Do you see? that we're empowered in a different way from anyone else to bring the kingdom to the complete person. This is what Jesus said. It was his last words to his disciples as recorded in Acts chapter 1. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, <clears throat> but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is like, I'm leaving. Been here three years. That'll do. I mean, 33, right? But really active in ministry for three years. And now it's up to you guys. 
I'm honest with you, not a great plan, but it's the one he's come up with. He says, I'm leaving it to you. Do you want to see the kingdom come? I've showed you how. As a human, in a human body, I've showed you how to do it. Now I'm gone, and I'm sending you the Holy Spirit so that you can receive power so that you can do what I did. Do you remember what John says? Greater works will you do than the ones I've done. That's quite daunting. He raised the dead a couple times, healed everyone who came to him with sickness, restored people who were socially shunned and ashamed. And he says, I've done this, I've shown you how, and now you're going to do more. Okay? You are looking at me like, yeah, maybe not me. No, I'm saying, yes, you. Okay? <laughs> we can start in small ways, but we have this power in us, or we can ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us so that we can be witnesses in Sydenham and Forest Hill and Southeast London and Greater London and the UK and beyond. Because this world needs the kingdom. We must be able to bring it. So when we're facing situations in our lives and in our world, I think a great question is to ask, what is it like in heaven? If it's sickness or war or family breakdown, do these things exist in heaven? No. So then they shouldn't exist here. We're bringing the kingdom of God, which means we're bringing heaven and the realities of heaven and the structures of heaven to our world now. And we, use, we do this in the power of the Spirit, which lives in us, and the gifts that he gives us in order to bring things back to the way they are. So I'll tell you a couple other stories from Broccoli just so you know, this doesn't only happen in um, poor villages in the Philippines. Uh, so we're running a food bank at St. Peter's, which just started during the pandemic because people began knocking on the vicarage door saying they were hungry. And our, you know, Ben and Hanel emptied their fridge a few times. And then we were like, oh, this is probably a bigger thing than we realized. And it's now, you know, we're now feeding about 90 families and 90 households every week. And um, people come in and they choose their food and um, we always have opportunity to ask people if they want to, us to pray for them. Oh, um, and we're always trying to use the Holy Spirit's power to pray for people because we can meet people's physical needs, which we should do. Um, and if, all that, if that's all that happens, that's great. But we do have this power of the Spirit to, to help meet their other needs as well. You remember we talked about that word sozo, salvation, applying to the whole person. So a few, probably a few months ago now, this man came in for the first time and he was looking really haggard and really down. And I said, could I pray for him? Just to give you a tip, I've asked to pray for people all around the world and about 9.8 out of 10 people will say, sure, you can pray for me, honestly. We, we get quite frightened and think, oh, people don't want that. They actually do. And um, if they say no, you can just say, oh, that's fine. But, I mean, Muslims and Buddhists and atheists and bus drivers and housewives will mostly say, yeah, sure, you can pray for me. And generally, they're quite thankful. Anyway, I asked this guy, can I pray for him? He says, yes. And while I'm putting my hand on him and quietly praying in tongues under my breath, not loudly in his ear because that's annoying, but I just said, Holy Spirit, what do you have for him? And the only thing that I had in my brain was tell him I haven't forgotten him. 
And I was like, well, that's quite like, I mean, that's nice, but it's pretty bog standard, isn't it, right? You could say that to eight out of 10 people and they'd be like, oh, thank you, that was nice. Um, but I just said it because I had nothing else in my head. This is, a, this is like using the gift of the word of knowledge, which is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as I said that, he just starts weeping. Um, and I found out later, talking to him, that he had gone to a, a church as a boy and really rejected it and, and thought it was complete rubbish because he'd had some bad experiences there. And God saying to him, I haven't forgotten you, was really significant. So I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Great. Um, and then um, I guess because I could see that he was, he was touched by the Holy Spirit, I said, okay, Lord, is there any more? And then I got a riskier one, which is I felt like God had said he was estranged from one of his children. Then that's a bit more risky to say. So I said, you know, you can ignore this if it doesn't feel right to you, but uh, do you have a child that you're estranged from? Well, then there's more tears. And he says, yes. So I said, can we pray that that relationship gets restored? Yes. You know, so he's come in, he's got his groceries, but he's also had the Holy Spirit ministering to his deep emotional pain. And he's started to find out that God cares about what's happened in his family. And he's starting to have some hope that things can change. Does that make sense? This is the spirit of the Lord is on me because he, he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What was good news for that man? Well, he's hungry. So good news is some groceries. And he's in pain. So good news is God loves and cares about your pain. He is tired and sick. Good news is God can come and heal your, your body. Does that make sense? When the, if the gospel is good news, what is the good news that that person needs? If I'm not hungry, you giving me bread is not great news for me. But if I'm um, anxious, you're bringing the peace of God as good news for me. Does that make sense? There's this beautiful verse in um, Isaiah 50, which says, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Isn't that lovely? How many people around us are weary? And the sovereign Lord, says Isaiah, is teaching my mouth, teaching my tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. So here's a challenge for you. Wake up every morning and say, Lord, who's the one person that you're going to lead me today, who, lead me to today, who needs to hear a word from you? And what would it be? Just start to ask him, what situation or what person or what place am I going to be in that needs to look more like heaven, where the kingdom of God needs to break in? And can you, can you give me something to give away at that point? Okay, really simple things. It might just be literally like what I had. God says, I haven't forgotten you. Have a lovely day. That could be it. But we're, we're starting to ask the Holy Spirit, what have you got? Because honestly, most people who we meet... We don't have advice or answers for them, do we? If you think of your colleagues or your neighbors or your family or people around you, we're facing all kinds of things, mental health challenges, relational family challenges, financial. You don't have the answers. And often we, we, we sort of say, well, we'll signpost you to services. That's good. But actually Jesus said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit 
to fill you with power so that you can bring good news to the poor, so that you can set the oppressed free. And this is, this is us, guys. We can signpost to services or, and or, we can say, Lord, what's the word that would sustain the weary for this person? Have I got the faith to say, can I pray for your knee and your arthritis? Can I ask and invite the Holy Spirit's peace to come to your anxious heart? Yeah? It's quite a lot more fun than just saying, I'll signpost you to services. <laughs> it really is a lot more fun. I mean, please do both. Services are great, but yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to just go back to the, the Isaiah passage that Jesus quoted from because it's a bit lengthier than what's written in Luke. And it's just so beautiful. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord <clears throat> is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And how many brokenhearted people do we have around us? to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So many people think that, that, that God is angry and judgy, but we're sent to proclaim, no, he, he favors you, he loves you. And the day of vengeance of our God, now I think that is, God can see that you have been captive and you have been oppressed and he's taking vengeance on. He's bringing justice. The, um, the young girls that I worked with in the Philippines who had been sold and, and really treated incredibly badly, they needed justice for what had happened. So God says, this is the year of, of my favor and the year of vengeance, the year of justice. But this is what he does. He comforts all who mourn and provides for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Um, at St. Peter's, we have a little group of people who've been starting to say, we've got to do something about youth violence in our city. You know, the, the murder rate amongst young people is higher this year than it's ever been since they've been recording it. And a little group of people has been saying, what are we going to do about this? Well, it turns out we've had two shootings in Broccoli in the last month. And so, well, what do we do? Well, we don't do nothing. That's, that's, that's the first thing. Well, we've got together and done some praying, and then we've done some strategizing, and we've, we've gathered a few resources. And then we've gone out on the streets to the places where the two shootings happened, and we started praying in those places. And I won't go into it all now, but we're starting to see some change. Um, and, uh, you know, this is very early stages, but putting a little group together who's like, no, no, this can't go on because this isn't like heaven. We're going to see the kingdom of God come in our area in this, in this area. We're going to join with some other groups. We're going to get some training. We're going to find some lawyers. We're going to do all these things. But we are called to bring beauty instead of ashes and joy instead of mourning in whatever situation is in our areas. 
And this is brilliant. If you don't have one of these, you need to get one and take it home and put it above your mirror and read it every day. But it says, what does it look like in Sydenham and Forest Hill when the kingdom of God comes? It looks like broken bodies being healed and broken hearts being made whole. It looks like transformed lives as people encounter God and start a new relationship with him. It looks like the lonely and beaten up in life finding family and a new start. It looks like the marginalized and oppressed finding dignity and belonging. It looks like people being equipped emotionally and spiritually to live in freedom and fullness. It looks like people becoming the sort of people God created them to be. I mean, yes to all that. Yeah? And so this is the vision that God's giving you here. So exciting. And he's going to show you where can you start doing this. This is not going to be stuff that Ben Strain is going to do, okay? This isn't all going to be done through church programs, although that may happen. This is going to be done as you have tea with your neighbor and as you go to work and as you interact with the people around you. Does that make sense? Yeah? <laughs> You're still looking at me like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> right. What we need to do is receive the Holy Spirit and his power so that we are able to do this, because it is daunting if you're, if you're just little old me going out to do this, yeah? How do we receive the Spirit? Well, we just ask. Honestly, it's that simple. Luke 11 says, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? And then he ends this all with saying, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, right? So if you wanna be filled with the Spirit so that you can bring the kingdom, you just need to ask for it, okay? So we're going to do some asking now. And uh, yeah, why don't you stand up with me if you can? And just close your eyes. <clears throat> and I'm going to ask you to open up your hands if you'd like to as a way of just saying, Holy Spirit, I do want to be filled with you. I do want to be one of these ones who brings your kingdom. just going to leave a minute of silence and you can just tell him what you want to see him do and tell him that you're open. So come Holy Spirit and fill us. Come Holy Spirit, fill us up. 